The starting point for my paper is um, uh, Rory O'Higgins' description of the Book of Ballymote very much as a compendium of Shenachus. Um, and then I'll move on to something that Walter McGarrett uh, talked about, and that's Shkiel Alexander. And I was delighted uh, when Dr. McGarrett noted that very little had been written on the text, um, and I will focus a little bit on it today. It's, of course, one I prepared earlier rather than one um, I've put together since, since hearing that um, cry. But I suppose, actually, the whole paper, um, on some level, might serve as a footnote to what Elizabeth Boyle um, has just been talking about. And I would hope that it would bring us um, back, perhaps a little bit, from the Assyrians and Persians, which um, she talked about so eloquently, and um, focus um, a little bit on um, Macedonians and um, Greeks again. And I'll start by um, repeating perhaps some of the um, things we've heard already, just to kind of underline them. And that's, as you all know, from Professor Higgins' lecture, the Book of Ballymote, of course, is a large, very well-organized um, compilation um, with a very specific um, historical um, focus. And the large collection of these varied texts it contains include genealogies, as you know, um, origin legends, king lists, some sagas, um, and, of course, Din Henechus, among quite a lot of other genres. And again, as Professor Higgins noted, this um, content clearly reflected the interests of the trio of scribes who worked closely together, and the most prolific of whom, of course, is Manus Odrijano, and this is number one um, on your handout. And um, we'll remember that um, Amonus O'Dwigenon, of course, has been associated with um, several um, Connacht um, dynasties, and he can be seen in that way to, um, I think, continue um, the provision of Shenachus, um, with which his kinsmen were also concerned. We heard, of course, as well that he was associated, he was linked with another learned family, namely the um, Mech Eogon, this colophon that Professor Higgin um, noted suggests that he was perhaps the pupil of one of their number, Gila Nunayev um, Mach Eogon, who of course was a prominent scholar who died in 1399. Um, um, so we can assume that that kind of learning formed part of his training, um, as indeed um, it did in the case of at least one of his collaborators, um, namely Solov O. Um, Droma. And in any event, again, as we heard, um, both scribes wrote part of this manuscript at the house of um, Yolonolayev's um, younger brother, um, Donal Makhaegon. And another section of the manuscript, um, of course, was written in the house of um, the patron, namely Pomultoch Makhbonochoda in Ballymote um, itself. And it's been... Um, We've heard um, it argued very eloquently then earlier today that um, Pomultoch was, of course, the um, patron of the um, Book of Ballymote. And the manuscript's illuminations, which we heard a little bit about in passing, certainly point very much to a work of presentation. And evidence, of course, for Mahdanachad's interest in the manuscript is suggested by the genealogical material um, in the manuscript about which we'll hear more tomorrow and in the mention um, of his name specifically after his own pedigree has been recorded. So it's a, world, it's a work of local, regional and world history and in that regard may well have been a very, very fitting tribute to um, him. 
ornate lettering, skillfully um, executed images underline the esteem um, in which these various historical texts that are um, very much part of the manuscript um, were held. This was a book by, it was a book um, for those with an abiding interest in history. And history writing of all types then, biblical, classical, and Irish, provides the manuscript's unifying thread. Now in this, of course, the Book of Ballymote is far from unique, because the initial conference in this series, as you'll remember, on another academy manuscript, namely Lauren the Hira, again highlighted the interest in different kinds of history um, on the part of its scribes, including, of course, Moel Moira Mach Keilacher of the learned family of Mech Quinn the Mocht. Similarly, the Book of Leinster has been described as a monument to the 12th century Irish view of the country's past and as a library of sources for many different aspects of that past. Another codex that we heard a little bit about today, roughly contemporary with the Book of Ballymote, namely the Book of Lecan, contains much of the same historically orientated um, material that is preserved in the Book of Ballymote. Um, and again, as we heard, reference is made therein to many of the same um, sources. And indeed, the resemblance is such, of course, that, the, that both at least are held to be copied in part from a common um, exemplar, um, because like MacDonoghada, um, Rory O'Dovda, the patron for whom the Book of Lecan um, was composed, wished to situate himself and his dynasty also within a broader historical framework. And in achieving this, he had, of course, the support of another learned family, the MacIrvishig, um, about whom I suspect we may well hear more tomorrow. But notwithstanding their overlapping narratives and comparable concerns, the Book of Lecan is needless to say not the Book of Ballymote, and there are different um, emphases. There are different. Um, there are a lot of differences in specific aspects of their common approach, and particularly noteworthy is the fact that the group of four related texts vernacular adaptations of classical narratives that Walter MacGarrett was talking about, with which the Book of Ballymote concludes, don't form any part of the Book of Lecan. As we heard earlier this afternoon, the um, narratives in question are there under number four on your handout. They're um, in order of appearance, as it were. They're Tochel three, a version um, of the destruction of Troy. Merod Ilix, this loose rendering um, of the tale of Odysseus. And Imachta um, Eniasa, the Irish Aeneid. This particular grouping and the manuscript as a whole, which I think is significant, um, concludes with Skela, or indeed Stard Alexander, a history of Alexander the Great. And towards the beginning of the manuscript is um, the text we've just been talking about, Sex Etates Mundi, a universal history of the six ages of the world, a fact, I think, which is also of significance. By contrast, the Book of Lecan, for example, begins with a related text, Lever Govola Asian. Um, again, you have these if you work your way down with me through the handout. I've mentioned them there, I hope, in order. Um, Lever Govola Asian, a well-known account, of course, of the origins of the Irish 
set within this biblical framework, and it's then in the Book of Lecan followed by Sex Etates Mundi. Such is the interest of the Mech Irvishik in this particular text, Leverk of All the Asian, that um, a different version of the text concludes um, the Book of Lecan in its current state. The version of Leverk of All the Asian um, is also preserved, as we've heard, in the Book of Ballymoat, and it's surrounded by other biblical material and indeed. Um, surrounded by texts pertaining to specific Irish dynasties, including texts, for example, like Bordeville Lycan, which I've um, given you there on the handout. But really, it's my contention that in putting Sexetates Mundi um, towards the beginning of the manuscript, and in concluding the manuscript with thematically related material concerning Alexander the Great, that the scribe the scribes of the book of Ballymote were very much following a consciously conceived coherent plan, whether of their own design or already present in their exemplar is a matter um, to which I will return. And moreover, the texts contained um, between these ends, as it were, are interpreted in the light, of, were, were interpreted, and we should still interpret them in the light of the very deliberate focus then on world history and historiography um, at the beginning of the manuscript and at the end of the manuscript. So really, I suppose, what I want to do in the paper is um, to focus um, on the alpha and omega of the book of Ballymote. And I'll start with the manuscript's end point. That's the um, Alexander material. And Shkiela Alexander has been read up to now very much with the preceding three classical texts with which it forms, of course, a natural unit. In the case of all of these texts, attention um, is focused on their historical um, character, as has been cogently argued by Erich Popper newly written historiographical prologues introduced the material um, to an audience who might have needed um, a little bit more um, elucidation, supplementary information on particular characters and events. Um, the first three texts are very much related in correct chronological order. The account of the Trojan War is followed by the story of the decade-long journey home um, after it by um, Odysseus, and then subsequently we, we, we read about the adventures of Aeneas on his way to Italy and his glorification then as ancestor of the Romans. So this attention to a timeline further highlights the historical intent of those who linked these narratives in, again, to quote Erich Popper, in an incipient cyclical arrangement, as he said. And on some level, the story of Alexander, of course, has also given its proper place in this timeline some centuries on. Thematically linked to the preceding classical material, in that on some level it too relates, of course, the hero, a hero conquering the East, it's more firmly anchored in time, um, the 4th century BC, than the more distant um, Trojan tales. So arguably, the first three texts form a closer knit group than they do a foursome when they're put together with the Alexander tale. But it's the Alexander material that draws the story of Troy and its aftermath into the purview of world history as set out in the Book 
of Ballymote. Troy becomes part of universal history, structured by the Christian concept of time, when linked through Alexander the Great with the biblical material um, at the um, beginning of the uh, manuscript, um, the six ages of the world. If you look at number six on your handout, you'll see that Alexander himself was a biblical figure in that he was um, mentioned in the first chapter of the book of Maccabees. And this, of course, in turn ensured that he was studied by a number of church fathers. Um, and indeed, of course, um, drawing on the church fathers, he was studied by such 4th, 5th century um, authorities as Jerome, um, son of Eusebius, and indeed, of course, the 7th century um, um, polyglot scholar, ecclesiastic Isidore of Seville. If you turn the page, um, you'll see that medieval interpretations of Daniel's vision in the book of Daniel cast Alexander as one of the four beasts emerging from the water, taken to symbolize the four great kingdoms of the world. They're Assyrian, Persian, as we've heard about, um, and Romans, as well, of course, as Alexander's own kingdom, Macedonian, um, come Greek, as it were. The, inter the interpretation, however, isn't made explicit in the biblical text. I'll return to the interpretation that I've given you there from um, Shkiel Alexander um, in a minute. So immediately preceding the Romans then, um, Alexander's, um, Alexander's kingdom was normally placed in the fifth age, immediately preceding then um, the sixth. So in returning to Alexander at the end of the book of Ballymote to complete his history, the conscious creator then of an interlinked network of texts preserved in the Book of Ballymote was reminding his reader of contemporary history um, um, before Christ, and he was reminding his reader that this was going to come again. So earlier on in the manuscript, he'd looked at the six ages set out in his version of Sexetates Mundi, and then at the end, he brought his reader round once more to that pivotal point in time before the final um, sixth age. That chronology was his primary concern is indicated by the fact that Shkela Alexander is prefaced by various historical um, prologues. Um, if you look, for example, at number seven, you'll see that the first of them talks very much about the precise place of um, Alexander's empire among the emperors uh, of the world, and it's drawn from the um, chronicle of um, Eusebius and Jerome. Um, and then after that, the text is very much situated in an Irish context by reference to the standard formula, which Professor Higgin also um, mentioned, that's log, I'm sure, persa and fa or tugud, um, so place, time, person, and reason for the um, composition. So the Alexander material as presented in this manuscript focuses, or it provides, I suppose, on some level, a kind of a an important chronological anchor in the overall whole, and it unites, um, um, it unites or it links very much back to um, sex etates mundi in the manuscript. 
In between these significant manuscripts, uh, in between, I should say, these significant narratives, so Schiele Alexander, or well, Sexitatis Mundi, and then Schiele Alexander, um, are, of course, many, many versions of um, historiographical narratives, many of which are found in um, other manuscripts, but some of which are exclusive um, to the book of um, Ballymote. And what really, I suppose, the Irish Alexander in this manuscript does is provide us on some level with an augmented account of this fifth age. Now, this period is also um, discussed and described in the Irish, um, in the Sexetatis Mundi, but that text, I think it's fair to say, is concerned um, to a greater extent with earlier um, ages. So again, when we read the two texts together, um, Sexitatis Mundi and Schiel Alexander provide a detailed linear world history of universal time, read within the framework of the six ages, um, or the framework provided, I should say, by the six ages um, text. The account of Alexander's kingdom in Schiel Alexander is very much um, anchored in concrete fashion in space and time. And of course, as we've heard earlier, it also provides um, a context for the account of Ireland's history developed then in other texts in the book of um, Ballymote. Chief among these, of course, um, are, is Lever Govala. But the focus on nations so prevalent in Sexetates Mundi is, for example, augmented by the account of the origins of language um, at the Tower of Babel, as recounted in Aurukutna Negus, and about which we'll hear tomorrow. And in addition, it also um, provides a foundation for the exploration of the history of Britain, set out in um, the Historia um, Britannum, an Irish version of which is also in the Book of Ballymote. So history of all hues then, local, national, universal, as interpreted by scholars, set out in a scholarly fashion, is what we find in the book of Ballymote. And their scholarly interpretative approach is highlighted by the use throughout of question and answer interrogative um, formulas. Um, and this is there to a very great degree in Schiele Alexander and also in the Book of Ballymote version of Sex Etates Mundi. We might also note that the Alexander text, as we have it in the Book of Ballymote, um, doesn't actually finish with the king's death. Um, the slightly later version of that text in Lauer Black does finish with Alexander's um, death, but the one in the back of, in the book of Ballymote actually continues um, talking a fair amount about the aftermath and the consequences and what happened after um, Alexander's death. Um, this too has been cited um, as evidence for um, the academic interest in the text as history. So a narrative which might at some stage have been focused on a main character, namely um, Alexander, is kind of recast in some way to position to, or to reposition that character as very much linked with what came um, after. This, I think, is noteworthy. The um, most depictions of Alexander, including the Old English one, which stands alongside its Irish counterpart as an early vernacular account of 
um, Alexander. And in most of these depictions, the spotlight is very much on the personality of Alexander. Um, in a lot of them, his excessive pride and arrogance is castigated. Um, the Irish author, to some degree, reserves moral judgment. This led, um, I should say, Hildegard Tristram to view the perspective of the maker, of the author, of the Irish Alexander, as historical rather than um, figural, notwithstanding his access to a wide range of material um, concerning the king. Now, I should say that this particular view of Alexander is common to the version of the text, both in the Book of Ballymote and the related version, the Lauer Biak. So it would appear to have been a feature of the text upon which both drew. But nonetheless, and in particular in the light of what we've just heard from Elizabeth Boyle about the lack of um, biblical exegesis in the Book of um, Ballymote as a whole, um, I think it may be significant that um, figural interpretation, as it were, um, this time in the case of um, biblical characters, is also absent, um, as we've just heard from the um, Book of Ballymote text of Sex Etates Mundi, where it is found in earlier versions of the text. So the version of the Book of Ballymote, um, Sex Etates Mundi, and Schiel Alexander very much share a common approach um, in this regard. One might also arguably, I suppose, say that the relative lack of moral judgment in the Irish Alexander might have facilitated its deployment um, in a scheme of world history constructed on the Christian concept of universal time. Alexander is depicted very much as acting um, in accordance with divine authority even when his actions seem you know, absolutely terrible, particularly cruel. Um, one of my students um, has undertaken a relatively detailed comparison between the Irish text, um, Shkiela Alexander, and one of its main sources, which um, Dr. McGarrell mentioned, and which I um, have there under number um, seven for you, um, the text by the fifth century church scholar, Paulus Orosius, um, Historiarum Adversum Paganos. And um, when you compare what we learn in Erosius um, and what we have about Alexander in um, Schiele um, Alexander, there I think it becomes very, very clear of the attempts made by the Irish author to present Alexander in a relatively positive light. So um, his desire to conquer the world, for example, is set out as a vision. It's an Ashlinger, it's a fiche, um, and there's no counterpart for that in Erosius. Um, in addition, and this is back to the bit at the top of that reverse side of your handout, the bit about Daniel's vision, um, it's very much made explicit in Schiele Alexander that Alexander's kingdom is to be identified with the, the bronze stomach of the um, aquatic monster. And this is elsewhere linked to um, other biblical characters and um, specifically Nebuchadnezzar. Um, elsewhere, it's, it's linked with him. Um, and one of the things my student noted was that this linking um, between um, Alexander and earlier biblical characters, um, particularly biblical characters which had scriptural sanction, again, were deliberately designed to reflect well on the Greek king. 
Indeed, even in the description of Alexander's death, which is much more detailed than that recorded in Orosius or indeed in any other source, it's implied that Alexander might actually have repented were he given the chance um, to do so. So at the end, there's a kind of backhanded compliment by an author um, who wanted to present um, Alexander in a relatively positive um, light. And we also get that towards the end of the text when Alexander's legacy, when um, uh, what comes after him, as it were, is being um, explored. So the suffering acknowledged, uh, the suffering caused by Alexander the Great is um, acknowledged, but nonetheless we get a sense as well of um, the admirable qualities um, he possessed. And I've given you a passage under number seven there, Alexander Moore Mac Pilib Isherochav or Drihi and Davan the Gjegiv, Alos Nirt, Agus Gulla, Agus Gashkil, etc. So the emphasis is on his nirt, his, his strength, on his valor, on his kalmacht, on his bravery, um, etc. Sorry, I simply um, omitted to insert the translation. I'm very sorry about that. But anyhow, that's a, an example of um, how he's set out in relatively um, positive terms. And if you turn to the very end of that passage, we're told in Gjeg. More thraw tear is air for Davon for Davon. So it's the it's the it's the the Greece then is the best um is the best country in the um world. And indeed the text finishes very much with a flourish, again drawing attention. Yeah, there is a kind of a when we're talking about political um political significance of texts and contemporary resonances, but anyhow. Um, and the final flourish also um very much underlines this kind of um positive aspect um of Alexander, ni frit tro nachahavel riev na irev eder the Alexander. Um, so his like, um, his like was never ni vegelehed on the reach, or his like, his his like, his like was never um uh, has never before been found apart from um Octavius Augustus. So according to this reading of his actions, then in Shkela Alexander, he is a worthy representative of his own chronological age. In its own relatively brief account of the fifth age, Sexitatis Mundi also drew on Orosius. Um, Orosius's um, Historiarum Adversum Paganus was clearly a highly influential, popular um, account of history since the birth of Christ. Orosius himself, I should say, structured his own history very much in accordance with um, specific ages, and as well as being utilized by the author of Sexetates Mundi, the creator of the Irish World Chronicle, for example, which was prefaced to provide pre-Christian history to a number of, um, of annals, um, also drew on this particular work. Now, the author of Schiela Alexander, of the Irish Alexander, also appears to have had access to the Irish World Chronicle, as we'll see. But more importantly for our purposes, the author, then the creator of the Irish Alexander, drew on Orosius very creatively, as we have seen, citing him specifically at various points in his own tale. Again, you have some of these on your handout. So at some point he says, Er Oros said Orosius, or Aval Aspert Oros, as Orosius um, said. And the Historiarum is called Liver Nishkeel, the books of the stories, um, with Shkeel then being used as a um, as a relatively common translation um, of Orosius. 
So their recourse, the recourse of um, both Sexitatis Mundi and Schiele Alexander to Orosius in um, creating their history provides a further link between the two texts, and that then they should be they should um, serve to link the historiographical material, um, the elaborate world history that we get um, in the Book of Valimote um, is, I think, no coincidence when we take these kinds of connections into account. Um, that Alexander's reign should be used as a pivotal marker of time in a manuscript focusing very much on history and world history in the first place is corroborated by the Old English material I mentioned, roughly contemporary with the Irish Alexander tale. And I can say that with some confidence now, having um, heard Walter MacGarrell's elucidation, indeed convincing, um, um, convincing um, evidence um, underlining the text as a 10th century narrative. So the earliest vernacular versions then of the Alexander material are those in Old English and Irish, both then of which um, may be 10th century in date. And as well as being comparable in date, the two traditions share the fact that neither go back to the so-called pseudo-Calisthenes, this Egyptian Greek life of Alexander, and indeed the main source of the Alexander tradition elsewhere in Europe. Instead, both are heavily dependent on various books of Erosius. Um, and hence, and I think this is significant also in terms of date, um, and I think provides us with an additional argument for that 10th century dating that we could use alongside um, Walter MacGarrell's um, linguistic um, dating, and that's contemporary scholars in England and Ireland um, were at the same time then equally attracted to a source which set Alexander in the kind of the setting, um, in the historical setting of universal time. The manuscript context for both the Old English Erosius and the Irish Alexander material, including the Book of Ballymote, indeed in particular the Book of Ballymote, emphasizes this fact. Because when we look at the English manuscripts, the Anglo-Saxon manuscripts where we get um, um, copies of Erosius. It survives in various 10th and 11th century manuscripts, but in the company of such texts as the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, again, very much focusing on its um, importance as a chronological marker. So read in this context, as it were, its historical dimension is very much to the fore. An Irish scholar similarly read Erosius in this way. The Alexander tale, um, derived from it was prefaced by a historic, uh, historiographical prologue, as we've seen. Um, analytic in style and content, it may very well have drawn on the Irish World Chronicle itself, or perhaps um, sources which were also used um, in the creation of the Irish World um, Chronicle. And in addition to drawing on annals to augment his source, the Irish author of the Alexander tale also drew on other texts concerned with Alexander that were noted already this afternoon, namely his um, Alexander's letter to um, Aristotle, um, Epistola Alexandre Magni, I have those on your handout there under number seven, and this anonymous text, the Collatio, the correspondence between um, Alexander and the King Dinimus. In Anglo-Saxon England, Alexander was very much linked 
with other texts, texts concerned with the wonders of the East and appears alongside them in such manuscripts as that in which Beowulf is also found. And in this connection, we may note again Michael Clarke's work um, on monstrous races. And we may note that the additional material in the version of um, Sexitates Mundi, specifically the poetic summary of it ascribed to Thiv Litter O Uathkale, Redig Thom Aye, the Niv, in the Book of Valimote, and indeed in a closely related copy in the Book of Lekin, is derived from a similar source. So the nexus of material then encompassing both Sexitates Mundi and Alexander is very clearly linked in complex com comparable ways in adjacent scholarly communities, namely the Anglo-Saxon and the Irish, um, both of which communities were equally concerned with their own history as world history and their own age as a specific point on a universal Christian timeline, as it were, leading to God. So the Alexander material then was first adapted both in Ireland and Anglo-Saxon England in the um, 10th century. A later, though still middle Irish version, appears to have been, as we have heard earlier, the immediate precursor of the Irish Alexander in the Book of Ballymote. It differs in significant ways from the text, from the version of that text um, in the Lower Black. And indeed, I suppose we may note, as far as the kind of the present discussion is concerned and the focus on history, it might be noted, I think, that the uh, inclusion of Shkila Alexander in the Lower Black is not linked, or at least not linked to the same extent, perhaps, with the um, historical approach, which I argue account for its inclusion in the Book of Ballymote. And here we can, I think, perceive a somewhat more marked moral tone in the Lower Black version of Shkila Alexander. Um, and very much there, the kind of the depravity of Alexander's um, actions are contrasted very, very markedly and to a greater degree with Orosius's Christian present. So it may be that the reason for um, including Shkela Alexander in Yaur Black had more to do with the other religious um, moral texts in that, um, um, in, that particular, um, in that particular manuscript. But the historical dimension, I think, is what underlies its presence in the Book of Ballymote. And in particular, the specific connection between it and Sexetates Mundi, I hope to have highlighted here, um, may, of course, I suppose, predate our honorand, as it were, the Book of Ballymote. And it may have been a feature of that um, manuscript's source. And I began by noting the close correspondences between the Book of Ballymote and the Book of Lekin, not least in their focus on historical writing. Um, similar copies of such texts as Sexetatis Mundi, um, Laur Bretnach and Laur Govola Asian, similar but not identical, being present in both um, manuscripts. And indeed, this led scholars like um, Hans Oskamp to postulate a common source to the books of Lekin and Ballymote, which Oskamp himself um, ascribed to the 12th century scholar um, Gilo Kajavon. Others, as I say, may return to that theme tomorrow. But be that as it may, I contend that what is preserved in the book of Ballymote is world history, 
exhibiting a very conscious craft, providing the interpretive framework with which, or within which, I should say, um, many of the manuscripts other works of history were understood, the cornerstones on some way, um, in some way of this kind of deliberately designed structure were of particular importance. Um, and I think those cornerstones were Sexetates Mundi um, on the one hand, but then significantly also Schiel Alexander, the text with which the manuscript closes and which deliberately echoes the six ages of the world um, narrative. And indeed, I suppose it might have been considered predictable in some way to insert, to include um, Sexetates Mundi. I think it was much more daring and indeed accords the manuscript as a whole a much more kind of polished feel by concluding with um, Schiele Alexander. So if we read the Irish Alexander solely in the light of the three Troy texts immediately preceding it, that I think ignores um, the overall coherence of the book of Ballymote. It is as a classically biblically, a biblically influenced account um, of a pivotal age in world history that Shkiela Alexander is presented. And within the kind of the enveloping um, concept of the world's various ages, Ireland's multifaceted story as told in the Book of Ballymote's pages, I think, is made to shine. Thank you very much.